Hi, welcome back to another episode of OA on Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, Cosmo talks to Chris Ferrone of Dig Boston and the Boston Institute for Nonprofit Journalism. Then, I'm happy to be back talking to Tom O'Neill for our segment, Two Minutes with Tom. This week, Tom and I are talking about Bernie Sanders stepping aside, Joe Biden as the presumptive nominee for president, and what it means to be campaigning for president right now. All right, with us now on the remote edition of OA On Air is Chris Ferrone, publisher of Dig Publishing, Dig Boston, as well as founder of the Boston Institute for Nonprofit Journalism. Chris, thanks so much for joining us, and, and thanks for coming back to OA On Air. No, it's a great, great way to start the day, which are, you know, we're starting these, these days a little later than usual, right? Uh, it, it, indeed we are. They all kind of blend together. Um, I'm thrilled to have you on, and, and I want to get through quite a few things, but I, I just want to start with what you've been doing uh, on a regular basis, and I, and I think it started off as an experiment uh, that we all, we've all been able to watch, and that's your uh, periodic, regular, sometimes nightly webcast on Facebook Live from your uh, from your, uh, your your basement studio, which you've put together, um, it, it, you've got a you've, you've got a, a terrific audience, myself included. Um, how how did that come together? Uh, and and also just f- from the from the idea of providing not only coverage of COVID nineteen um, from a different perspective, but also monitoring uh, the, uh, the the media coverage elsewhere of this uh, you know once in a lifetime. Uh, public health crisis. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, so basically, you know, I'm I'm mostly a, a writer, editor, reporter, um, and you know, certainly we've done so, some multimedia uh, endeavors over the years. But I tell everybody the same thing when everybody whenever somebody asks why I don't have a podcast or or do more video blogging, it's because you know, just like you know from doing this, it's a lot of work. It's you know, we're already working like uh, crazy at the dig. Uh, we're you know, we're small. We're scrappy we're independent and no complaints but you know every time i listen to one of my favorite podcasts or you know there's like a, a roster of producers after you know we don't really have that but when this all happened you know we know that a lot of people who get their news from the dig uh, not that they don't read other things but it's a primary news source of source uh, of sorts We're, you know sometimes that's just for arts and entertainment but also for alternative headlines and i just figured uh we really need to step it up uh, even though, you know, even with all the challenges. So, you know, I cleared out my own basement. Uh, some of our, you know, some of our other reporters, we got, we got people, audio equipment, some video equipment, and slowly we're rolling this out. I'm fortunate to have, you know, the max 5,000 personal followers on, uh, on my Facebook, but uh, soon, soon we're going to roll that out to the actual dig Facebook and stuff like that. But really, the past couple of weeks has been a crash course. Certainly, you know, people can share those publicly. But what we're doing is kind of fine tuning it. You know, we figured no rush. You know, even even after COVID, we hope to be continuing to do more multimedia. Uh, it's definitely, you know, that's how some people are going to get their news. Yeah, and and you you know you've, you've got a lot of followers sharing it and 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 bringing people into it. It's a it's a, it's a terrific daily feature. Um, in, importantly, with regard to the dig, and I think a lot of people know this. You're certainly your readers and your audience, but 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 for those who don't, I mean, this has to be 
especially challenging because a core of you know a core of your revenue base is event and nightlife and and restaurant uh, based and and that's the industry that really off the top of this pandemic took it right uh, you know uh, shut down immediately so that that must make it uh, additionally challenging for you. It was huge. I mean, we 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 made the call. It's about a month ago now to to stop the print edition. So obviously, that's a you know a cost that we don't have to uh, to take on right now. But at the same time, we had to do that because, like you said, all of those advertisers. Uh, you know, that's that's our that's our bread and butter to the point that we even have our own ticketing platform for a lot of our clients that they do their you know uh, they do their tickets through us instead of Eventbrite. So. Yeah, I mean, we we had to switch. We 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 have some revenue coming in still, and certainly there was, you know, money on the street. At the same time, uh, we we doing something that we've never done before, which is raise money for the dig. And you know, we we've raised. Um, I, I haven't actually checked in a couple of days, but you know, you know, well over ten thousand dollars. Some of that is monthly donations, and it's it's really it's been a a lifesaver, and it also really gets people involved. Uh, th- those people are doing that now with. No expectation of anything, but I could tell you on your show that we actually have a whole bunch of stuff to offer people. Uh, we were planning on doing a membership program at the dig anyway, you know, where you'll get access to everything from movies and events to, uh, uh, you know, dinner coupons and, and, and gift certificates. But we haven't even rolled that out yet because of, you know, all things considered. And people, you know, people have come and supported us anyway. And I tell you, it really, it, it, it brings a tear to my eye because it, it, you know, it, it shows that what we do is, is important, which isn't something you always feel when you do community media. And, you, and you've been supporting artists uh, b- by promoting their online um, performances. You've been supporting uh, restaurants and, uh, and food service by, by trying to create a database for, I think, for uh, delivery and other things. Yeah, um, those, uh, things are, those things are all like and those are all you know hacks we had to do. You know, we had a very popular events calendar that already always got, you know, thousands of views every day. But obviously, you know, a big part of that events calendar is actually based on location, right? So we had to talk to the people who help with that and really hack that so that the locations could be online and, you know, and things like that with the restaurant guide that that's also, you know, kind of a hack of sorts where we took our events guide um, uh, program and, and kind of made it so that it could, you know, if you go to digboston.com, there's a thing you could click through there's almost 100 restaurants that are doing takeout and delivery that we keep updated so really definitely a lot of that i'll also say that you know the dig as a print publication that doesn't have a lot of resources up until very recently we had a pretty simple standard website more, um almost more of a blog and uh thankfully we we got a pretty you know dynamic new site in place literally weeks before this all happened so you know in the other thing is that you know there uh, we've been writing a lot about small business loans and such. And certainly, you know, as a small business with, with very few uh, employees, you know, we're going to be able to weather this, I hope a a little bit easier than, you know, places that are bigger. We don't have a huge payroll. Um, If anything, I'd say, you know, the, the dozens about to eclipse a hundred articles that we've commissioned uh, that a lot of that money is actually, you know, that's going into people's, uh, uh, bank accounts. And that's what they're using for food and stuff like that right now. You know, these are reporters are the people who have these jobs that you're hearing about that either they're essential and they're going in. We have people who are doing Uber Eats and stuff like that. Uh, or they're the jobs you hear about that, you know, the service jobs, the, the barbers, the, the the tattoo artists, the the restaurant, the people work in restaurants um, who are not 
taking any income in right now. So this is kind of a, you know, we're a lifeline of sorts, not just on the media side, but also on the side of our, you know, our talented uh, contributors. We're talking to Chris Ferron of Dig Publishing, Dig Boston, as well as the Boston Institute of Nonprofit Journalism. Chris, you've got a new story posted uh, uh, that, that not a huge surprise, but still uh, illustrative of uh, uh, the surprising attitudes out there among Americans related to COVID-19 and this pandemic. Uh, it's a poll. Tell us about it uh, and, and tell us what some of the findings were in, in, in your story. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was telling you before, you know, we're, we're really the local people. Uh, for the most part, but I do ha- I do get to write a column every now and then, and I had realized that last week that you know in the first month I edited eighty stories and didn't do any of my own reporting, uh, so uh, not you know not much at least. So I just I, I stumbled upon this uh, this study. It was by the Reboot Foundation in Paris called "Going Viral: How Social Media Is Making the Coronavirus uh, uh, the Spread of Coronavirus Worse." And it's it's terrifying. And I was actually surprised that more big media didn't get on it. But, you know, they interviewed they did surveys with a thousand people and they basically found this is quote unquote, um, the uh, almost a third of the public believes in COVID-19 myths. According to their representative survey of more than a thousand people of various ages across the country, 29 percent or almost a third were misinformed on at least one aspect of the virus. And in many cases. Oh, did you did you lose me for a second? Nope. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. And in many cases, um, yeah. So basically, not only are not only are uh, a third of people infor- misinformed, but the 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 less they know, the more they think they do. And of course, this is similar to surveys and you know other you know uh, on other issues that we see. But obviously, it's 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 a significant pressing concern at this moment. You know, almost you know more than usual. And uh, I see this. I see this playing itself out every day on on social media, on my own feed. I, you know, there's 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 up there's there's positives and negatives to having a no generally having a no block, no unfriend policy, which I which I usually do unless someone is you know incredibly abusive to somebody else. Yeah. But I see it unfolding on my own feed, and it, it's remarkable um, the the level of sort of misunderstanding, misinformation that that gathers a lot of steam through um that gathers a lot of steam through social media yeah and and you know it's, it's one of these things where I, I actually spent the first couple of weeks in covering this with my head my head in my laptop and th- that's you know doing the work i had to do and you know in, in my uh youthful days i was always you remember i'd go on conservative radio a lot and argue with people and i just wasn't really into doing that and then at this point i said you know, I'm not that it helps to like call people stupid, but I think that the dialogue has to be there. I've certainly, um, and there are more responsible ways to address it. My colleague, Jason Premis wrote a great piece about how to communicate with people in your family and, uh, you know, basically on the facts. But now that we're a month into it, there, there's clearly a, a, a demographic that is really, I don't know what it is, this <laughs> unbelievable stubbornness and, uh, and it's dangerous, frankly. Uh, you know, so that's that's really. So I'll throw a couple things like that. But most of the stuff that we're putting up there is really local. And you know, I hate to say anecdotal, but really, um, it's more slice slice of life kind of stuff, uh, which we've found important. It's been great to see bigger media outlets, you know, kind of look at, uh, uh, say, you know, people who are working in grocery stores and the issues they're facing. Uh, but I'm proud to say that that's that's one of the things that we were. You know, from day one, I think our first story to go viral was 
about workers at Market Basket. You know, that was, you know, earlier, um, you know, mid-March. So, you know, not, not that, not, not to be so hipster about it, but I, I was, I was not surprised, but it was interesting to see that it did take people a couple of weeks in the, in the, you know, the suited up media to really realize, oh my God, like these most vulnerable populations are going into these places every day. Yeah, it's. I think those are the most important and and and, and certainly well Im- impactful stories uh, because I mean think about it. What other crisis literally hits every household in some way and 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 for millions the same way and and for the most uh, badly impacted in, in a devastating way. So I, I think those human stories are really important. You know, I, I'm guilty of during the day, especially working remotely out of my home. Uh, just having on uh, the constant stream of media, flipping between the stations. I, I got to admit, I go back and forth often, often between CNN and Fox News, just to sort of get the perspective. And there's a lot of there's a lot of similarity in the way they are covering this. And and and, and look, everyone also has deeper levels of coverage and good interviews and information, but. Bottom line, it's a lot like the political coverage. It's who's up and down today. It's the it's it's the death count, the tally, all of which is 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 important. But that's what it is. And I got to tell you, CNN, from its perspective, is not a lot better than Fox News on the other side when it comes to the shallowness of the the the, the coverage throughout the day. In my opinion, you know, and, and, no, totally. And another thing, Cosmo, is that. Uh, and this is this is whenever we get a big story. This was certainly a, an issue when I was covering Occupy across the country in multiple cities is that, listen, I understand New York is is a hot spot and it's critical to cover it. But, you know, people need to remember the media is in is largely in New York. And even if they're at home, uh, you know, and not not necessarily in Manhattan every day, it's still a New York centric media. And uh, I think you had hinted at this before. You know, one thing we've been doing at the dig is aggregating the stories of the other weeklies like us across the country. And I, I, every time we do that, we've done it twice so far, and we're, we're about to do it again. Every time we do that, it is such an eye opener about, you know, all the other things and, you know, issues, say, with with water in Montana, you know, just things that we wouldn't even think of here that are affected by this. And, and that, you know, if it's not part of the New York story, or the Boston story, which are the stories we're going to get from our local media and our national media around here. Uh, it's almost, it's kind of like, oh, you know, you're not even thinking about it, but, you know, from solutions that are happening, you know, in say service industry related or, um, you know, technological developments that are happening in other uh, c- towns, cities, uh, and states, uh, it, it, it's all important. And we're not, you don't really get that. And understandably, the national media, uh, there are some like the Washington Post, for example, has a tremendous network of freelancers across the country, but we just don't get the same thing, uh, unfortunately, on television. Yeah. All right. Rapid fire. I want, I want to um, just go through a couple quick things, meet just in terms of your perspective of, of, of different areas of coverage and how the media, I know that you, um, you've, been, you've been pretty vocal about open access to coverage and taking down paywalls. And, and you've had a little bit of a, uh, a running debate on that here, but who out there in the mainstream media? Because I know we talk a lot about and, and the importance of independent media. Is there mainstream or, or or large media organization coverage that you're like, hey, you know what, that was really good? Or of, of course, I think I mean, done a nice job. 
Absolutely. So, you know, before the mainstream, I just, you know, the big, the big progressive outlets like Democracy Now! have done fantastic work. You know, I, I may be the mainstream hater, but listen, I, I understand that the New York Times and the Washington Post and even the Globe do tremendous work that, you know, I'm just I'm still here to kneecap, though. So I'll give the I'm going to give the uh, Maggie Haberman's crew at the New York Times 13 reporters on that story about, you know, Trump's uh, investment interest in the company that makes that uh, was the hydro. What is it? The uh, hydro. Yeah, yes. Hydro, yes. Yeah. So the, the, this drug that now the, the federal government has purchased sixty thousand dollars of it, which is not much, but nevertheless. So, yeah, the Times crew on, you know, that investigative front. Um, and, and really, there's just listen, people really I think reporters even the ones I don't like, you know, you're in this game for a reason. People step it up at a time like this. And I, I do just want to comment on the paywall, you know, cause I know the people listen to your uh, podcast who I'm sure don't like me. Uh, you know, I, yes, I, I dislike the globe. I, I think it's unbelievable that they have a paywall up, even though they have fantastic coverage at stat and some, a lot at boston.com. I think the paywall is the wrong message. I don't care how much of, I don't believe that it's a necessity for them. I think that you could be like the New York times and use this opportunity to get more subscribers than you ever did, um, you know, free subscribers and then try to convert them. And I just want to give one example. I have a reporter who's disabled, who uh, is, is is actually reporting on a story about uh, healthcare access and, and being denied for, you know, what's kind of like a, a not necessarily an elective surgery, but also a surgery that's not prioritized right now. And she she literally had to email me to ask if I could get her an article from the Globe. It is a critical article with information that she needed, and it wasn't anywhere else. And if anything, the Globe should consider that a compliment. So, you know, I, for me, it's just been mind blowing that sure the Globe can hold its line, but all you know from uh, from the head of the Neiman Lab, Josh Benton, to Jim Browdy, um, uh, you know, commenting about my position on his show, it, it really boggles the mind that they have more of a problem with me speaking out a, about the Globe's paywall. Than, than with the Globe's paywall itself. It, it's despicable. Fair enough. Um, I have been, and others that are at, uh, over here at, uh, at uh, OA on Aaron O'Neill, I, there, there are moments when a media outlet sort of just steps up and sort of shines. And I got to tell you, I have been puzzled uh, by the history and the development and evolution of what exactly the role of the patch ought to be in media mm. coverage locally. And they seem to have chosen this moment to really step up. I, I see a great new story every couple of days at the local level yep. from them in uh, different communities covering it on the ground, kind of like the way you and other independent media are. And then they have a, 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 a I don't know, some kind of a national desk. They have really good perspective national stories. And I, I'm just amazed that, this is it. The, the the moment that they are really shining is in this crisis, and I and, and I think that's good. And I, I just wonder if if you pay attention to outlets like that that have a mission that's similar to independent media, but are part of a larger organization. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the when you get something like Patch, I think the important thing to realize is that that's the that's the individuals. You know, it's a patchwork of all these different. You know, they used to call them LEs, local editors, and Patch has, of course, been through a lot of different. Um, uh, you know, different shapes and forms. And uh, it's it's only as strong as the people in those communities. You know, last time I came on your show, we talked about, you know, the dearth of local media coverage. And, you know, Patch is an example of you used to have somebody covering, say, just, you know, one town, just Norwood or just Newton. And now they cover, you know, Norwood, Walpole, Dedham, 
or, you know, Newton, Wellesley, Brookline. So, um, you know, I, I guess my guess is that they've allocated resources to a few places that can, you know, that are needed right now. Um, but, you know, let's remember that not to knock them, but if patch was set up the way it was originally intended, that kind of great coverage, you'd be seeing it in a hundred municipalities right now. And that's, that's, nowhere, that's nowhere close to the case. And those communities don't even have, you know, the, of course, the the local dailies, uh, uh, weeklies and dailies that were around, those are a lot, you know, we lost uh, more than 30 newspapers in Massachusetts last year alone. So those communities are definitely hurting for information right now. Indeed. All right. Great conversation. Chris Ferrone. We'll see you on Facebook. Uh, we'll see you on your nightly webcasts. Chris Ferrone, Boston Institute of Nonprofit Journalism. Look them up and, uh, and support that organization as well as Dig Publishing. Chris, thanks a lot for joining us again on OA On Air. Thanks. Thanks, Cosmo. Thanks, Catherine. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. How are you? Two minutes with Tom. It's it's great. I don't know which edition this is. Could be eighty-three or four or five. I'm 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 losing track. Anyway, it's, a whole it's nice new to be world. on. It's a whole new world. It sure is a whole new world. Anyway, why don't you fire away? You're the hostess. Hostess with the mostest. Uh, well, I wanted a chance to talk to you a little bit about politics. Democratic election, obviously big news this week amidst all of uh, the other news that we're living and operating in right now is Bernie Sanders has suspended his campaign, uh, making Joe Biden the Democratic nominee presumptive. But it's not that cut and dry. This is a very interesting time to be campaigning for anything, nevertheless, campaigning for president of the United States. It's a very different time. It's uh, everybody is remote, as you and I are uh, speaking from 2,500 miles away or apart. And and I must say that Joe Biden as a candidate, and he is not only the presumptive, he probably is going to be the nominee without question because there's nobody left mm-hmm. in the field. The question is, how does he get there? What's the practice and protocol to get through a convention on a remote basis, understanding that? You know, everybody is believing that that there will be a convention without walls, that people will be calling and writing in and voting consequently that way. Um, But they'll be letting their their points of view known. The fact that that Senator Bernie Sanders is out of the race after running a highly competitive race and uh, bringing an awful lot of people into the Democratic Party fold has um, he's left a pathway to which Joe Biden, as the presumptive nominee of the Democratic Party, is going to have to pay attention in order to get a lot of that Sanders support behind him, namely the younger voter. And mm-hmm. uh, it means that the platform of the Democratic Party at the convention is is going to have to reflect some of the some of the things that Bernie Sanders spoke about during the campaign and believes in as an individual. And what Joe Biden is going to do with that, I honestly don't know, but I'm sure he'll be reaching out for that constituency, that Sanders constituency, uh, and you'll be hearing about it quite a bit between now and whenever that convention is to be held. It looks now like it's going to be sometime in July. Um, but 
We'll see. Uh, I have all the faith in the world in the Biden campaign. I have all the faith in the world in the in the folks that are running that campaign. And I have no doubts at all about Joe Biden as a candidate reaching out, doing what he has to do in order to placate the Bernie Sanders supporter without giving, yeah. you know, without giving the ship away and being portrayed as, as a socialist in Democratic clothing. He'll be competitive against uh, Donald Trump, I guarantee you. Yeah, he um, he had a very poignant and heartfelt message yesterday upon the announcement, or earlier this week, sorry, about uh, upon the announcement of Bernie sort of stepping aside. And I thought it was very classy, which we we have a real need for right now in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his tweet was, I, I can't say everything I want to say in a tweet, so I'm not going to try and linked to a fairly long statement where he addressed some of these issues around, you know, that Sanders and his campaign brought to the forefront issues into mainstream conversations that had never been part of mainstream conversations in politics before. That's right. And that he knew and recognizes that he can't just ask for the vote, that he has to earn it from them. And I thought that that was really well said. because it's true. I, you know, Sanders voters have have proven to be some of the most passionate that we've seen uh, in quite some time. And he's he's going to have to do a certain amount of work to earn their vote come November. That's right. I agree. Well stated. And one other thing before we jump off. Generally speaking, in times of a crisis, it it often will bode well for an incumbent in office to be managing a crisis, um, constant media coverage. This is, you know, the, the coverage of the of this pandemic is all consuming. Um, politics is almost really hard to to crack through this right now. Mm-hmm. How do you see that affecting this leading up to November? Because this is not just this is unlike any crisis we've ever seen before. This is a, a president in office unlike we've ever seen before. Does the constant media coverage of President Trump throughout this crisis hurt him or help him? It, it, history has shown that a crisis has always helped the incumbent. Um, the question is, this president during this crisis and how will history record it? I can assure you that the Biden campaign will remind people as to what was being said by Donald Trump and the administration in the earliest of stages of this pandemic and what they were saying to dilute people from what was actually going on. And as the numbers of cases were growing, the rhetoric continued to to spark doubts. I'm talking about the Trump rhetoric, continued to spark doubts as to what the what the reality of the moment was. And as as Cases climbed and deaths began to rise. Only then did he change his his thought. Instead of reacting to the situation as he did, he should have been ahead of the situation as a leader should have been. And all I have to say is, look at at, uh, Andrew Cuomo and the leadership he's providing by being as transparent and telling the people in an honest fashion as to what the reality is and asking them to move ahead and do what he asks, as opposed to blaming everyone else for the situation we're in. Those reminders will be front and center 
in the advertising campaign of Joe Biden. I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got a ways to go, uh, not only in the election, but uh, amidst this current environment that we're all living in. So we'll have to keep a close watch. Thank right. you. Yeah. So you asked me about what I thought. What do you think this crisis does to Trump in this election? I mean, I think I'm biased. I, I think it hurts him. Um, but he has proven to have a, a very strong supportive base uh, and he can do no wrong in their eyes. Uh, we also have to consider that the base and the, the media they're consuming um, have been telling the Trump story from the beginning. Uh really mitigating what this crisis was when it first started uh, and now changing changing their story and their message on that without any acknowledgement to the fact that before they were carrying water for him that was that was not factually correct. So I think it's too early to tell. Um, and I think we're still getting to a point where a lot of Americans are starting to truly take this virus and this pandemic seriously. Um, for some states that are just getting into it, that are having, that are living a very different reality, um, it's too early to tell. Well, um, yeah, as I said, history has always been very kind to an incumbent during the course of a crisis or a war. Uh, but this man, the way he conducted himself in the early stages I, I know about his strong following, but I also have great, great, great faith in the American public uh, to understand exactly what it is that's going on. So we'll see. We'll see. I hope you're right. And I like your optimism, Tom. <laughs> okay. On behalf of all of us here at O'Neill & Associates, we hope you and your families are staying safe and healthy. We're proud to continue our work during this time and we'll continue doing everything we can to keep you updated. For daily city, state, and federal updates on the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, please check out our website where updates are posted every morning. Talk to you next week.